0: Welcome to the Lead On Podcast. This is Jeff Orge, the president of Gateway Seminary, talking with you once again about practical issues related to ministry leadership. Now, last week on the podcast, we did something a bit unusual, and that is I used my convocation message from the president's convocation chapel to launch the new semester here at Gateway Seminary as my podcast. The reason I did that is because I wanted to lay out in that uh, message Um, Some information about a very significant problem that I think we're facing, particularly in the Southern Baptist Convention. Um, Our rate of baptisms has been plummeting since 2000 and, in fact, uh, is the lowest that it's been since the 1940s. Now, what this means is that we've ha- we have about the same number of people professing faith in Jesus and publicly requesting baptism and being baptized as we did in the 1940s. The problem is we have more than twice as many churches today as we had back then. So, by any measure uh, of evangelistic success, uh, we are uh, we are failing, and I'm I'm sad to say that because, as I said in the podcast last week, and as I said in the message. There's so many things right about the Southern Baptist Convention, so many good things that we're doing, and yet on this one thing, uh, we seem to really not be making the progress that we need. Now, uh, it's actually uh, the, the statistics that I quoted in the, in the message are even more telling about just the rate of uh, baptisms in so many of the churches. About 50% of the churches baptized two people or fewer, and 30% baptized no one. Those are statistics from 2017. And uh, that really underscores that the fact that we're still baptizing large numbers of people is really due to uh, really a few churches that are baptizing significant numbers of people and large numbers of churches that aren't baptizing anyone. And so it's it's really a, a serious problem and one that we've really got to address if we're going to have a future as a denomination, if we're going to have healthy churches that make up a healthy denomination. And most importantly, as I concluded the podcast last week, most importantly, uh, the lives of individual people who do not yet know Jesus Christ are depending on us to be more effective at evangelizing than we've been demonstrating in the past few years. Now, in last week's podcast, I identified 10 factors that are um, affecting our baptismal rate and affecting our effective, uh, uh, impacting our effectiveness at sharing the gospel with people. And if you've not listened to that podcast, I'd really encourage you to go back and listen to the whole thing because I'm only, I'm going to talk today in context of that larger message. And I won't be able to, of course, repeat everything I said there. I won't even try to, but I'm going to now, for the next few weeks on the podcast, lift out some of the factors that I talked about in the, in the first message and talk in more detail about them and about what we can do about them and how we can make some correctives in those areas to really move us forward again in evangelism. So the first thing I said, or the first factor that I identified that was limiting our evangelistic effectiveness was this, a truncated definition of discipleship. And here's what I said uh, in the message. There is a renewed emphasis, emphasis today on making disciples as the defining work of the church. Prioritizing discipleship for advocates of this renewal usually means developing serious Bible teaching and personal mentoring programs to produce theological depth among believers. This sounds good, but it rests on a truncated and therefore faulty definition of discipleship, which, if successfully fulfilled, will result in the death of every local church. This flawed definition is... Discipleship is turning weaker Christians into stronger Christians. That is not biblical discipleship. Discipleship is better defined as turning non-Christians into growing Christians. Biblical discipleship starts with leading a person to faith in Jesus. Making disciples begins with evangelism. If you prefer the previous definition, consider the logical results. Suppose you become the pastor of a 100-member church. You train every one of them to be a super-Christian. You succeed spectacularly. What happens in 50 years? All of your members go to heaven and your church closes. That's the result of defining making disciples as turning weaker Christians into stronger Christians. While teaching ministries in the church are vital... They must rest on the foundation of personal evangelism, which provides an ever-present source of new believers who can be shaped into growing Christians. This truncated definition of discipleship, as I described in the message, is that discipleship is turning weaker Christians into stronger Christians. Now, there are so many problems with that definition. Let me just point out a few. In the message itself, I pointed out the fallacy that if you believe discipleship is turning weaker Christians into stronger Christians, and over time, your church actually closes because it has no new Christians coming into the mix. Uh, There's also a problem with defining discipleship this way, because if you define it this way, you will never make a disciple in a culture where the gospel has not yet been planted. That means no unreached people groups in the world today can ever have a disciple-making movement because there are no weaker Christians to turn into stronger Christians. So discipleship must start with evangelism and with leading people to faith in Jesus if it's going to be legitimate. And this, also, this definition also really confronts a fallacy of church planting, particularly in America. Um, I sometimes hear of new churches being planted, and they say they've grown from zero to hundreds in a few weeks. And I think, well, yeah, how'd you do that? By colonization. By colonization not conversion growth. What I mean by that is they have colonized, disaffected Christians or persons from other churches who congregated around a new vision, a a charismatic leader, or a new location. But conversion growth means that people who were not yet believers in Jesus came to faith in Jesus and by that means entered into the Christian life. That's the real essence of church planting. It's not colonizing Christians. It's Conversion growth, where unbelievers come to be followers of Jesus and then grow uh, to be his disciples. So uh, there are the problems with the definition of turning weaker Christians into stronger Christians are manifold. Uh, one, if you do that, if you adopt that definition, you're assured that your church will eventually die. If you adopt that definition, you're assured you'll never make disciples in a place where there aren't any Christians or any weaker Christians because you, you can't. Uh, you can't make disciples if you don't have them to start with, um, the, this definition is flawed because it, it leads to a wrong understanding of church planting being a colonization versus conversion growth as the root or the nexus or the, or the, the, uh, the, uh, the matrix out of which a new church must emerge. You know, I, I faced this dilemma when I went to plant a church in Portland, Oregon a number of years ago. There were a few believers who wanted to join us from the beginning and help us plant the church, and of course we welcomed them. You don't turn away people who want to help you plant a church. Uh, We had some people that came to us that were very committed Christians that came from other churches that simply wanted to see a new church birthed in this particular area of Portland, and we were grateful for their help. We were grateful that they brought with them some understanding of how church functioned and even some experience of church leadership and church ministry. And so they were an asset to us. We also collected what I call some disaffected Christians. Uh, People that had been Christians that had been involved in churches for one reason or the other had dropped out. Um, And we were able to reclaim some of them and bring them into our church and give them a fresh start, a fresh opportunity. And in many cases, um, they were able to resolve the issues uh, that uh, had caused them to to separate from their former churches and became healthy and vibrant parts of ours. So I, I, I invo- when I was a church planter, there was some colonization, of course, that took place in our church plant. But what we fought against from the very beginning in our church plant was, was, was believing that those two groups of people, Christians that were coming from other churches, disaffected Christians we were reclaiming, that those represented true kingdom growth and true church growth. Um, they didn't. Uh, They weren't conversion growth. They weren't us reaching lost people in the community and seeing them come to faith in Jesus. And so most of my early church planting stories that I'm still telling today are not about how fast our church grew, but about the individuals that we were able to reach with the gospel, see come to faith in Jesus, see enter into a discipleship process by that means, and then grow to strength and maturity, and in fact some to be the very significant leaders who are still guiding the church today. So I know what it feels like to face a situation where you have to define discipleship by uh, uh, differently than turning weaker Christians into stronger Christians, and you have to find a way to make that work and, and to live that out in a context where there aren't any weaker Christians, or at least very few. So what's a better definition of discipleship? Well, I proposed it last week, and that is turning non-Christians into growing Christians. And I would strongly uh, advocate that you adopt that definition of discipleship for your ministry. Your, Your discipleship responsibility is not turning weaker Christians into stronger Christians. It's turning... Uh, non-Christians into growing Christians. And if you can keep that focus, it'll help you to really have a biblical discipleship process and to fulfill really the biblical discipleship mandate, which is turning non-Christians into growing Christians. Now, let's talk a little bit about where this wrong definition came from and some of the wrong uh, strategies or applications that are made when you base your ministry on it. First of all, this wrong definition rests on a real problem and is an attempt to address a real problem in the church today, and that is growing biblical illiteracy. It is astounding how little the typical Christian knows about the Bible, about doctrine, about church practice, about any theological foundation upon which their life is really resting and which is really controlling how they live and work every day this growing biblical illiter- literacy is a is a real problem and it ha- it creates a real need there's a great need in the church today for doctrinal instruction and for creating theological foundation um, i completely agree with the problem and the need uh, how do we get here well uh, don't want to rehash the past too much and go back into history but frankly when you look back 30 40 years ago in southern baptist life uh, our churches were models of Biblical teaching, uh, doctrinal teaching, church practice training. We had uh, multiple opportunities every week for Bible study, for doctrinal study, for church practice study. Uh, We called these programs Sunday School Discipleship Training and Missions Education. They were age-graded so that there was something for men, something for women, something for adults, something for teenagers, something for children, something for preschoolers. And these fully-orbed educational programs really produced a more biblically literate uh, Christian community. Now, I'm not arguing today on the podcast that we need to go back to all those methods. In fact, I think that's probably not wise. I really believe that today we need new methodologies to be invented uh, for 21st century churches and 21st century believers to increase the biblical literacy and expand uh, the doctrinal instruction and lay a better theological foundation. So please don't misunderstand me. I'm not advocating for adopting old schedules or returning to former programs. I'm simply pointing out that there was a time when the typical Southern Baptist Church had a much more robust teaching ministry than we have today. Today, uh, we have one worship service a week, and we have a small group, which is typically a discussion-oriented, need-oriented, fellowship-oriented group. And there's not a lot in there beyond those two things, uh, those two opportunities for more serious Bible teaching, and so that leads to some solutions that have been attempted by this and. And quite honestly, um, I think there's some good in these solutions, but again, I think that they're misguided because they're resting on this flawed definition of discipleship. The solution that a lot of people have uh, are not, that, that ha- have proposed is that we we change churches to be really more like what I would describe as seminary classrooms, so that pastors are delivering lectures rather than preaching sermons. Uh, pastors are. Uh, uh, considering themselves more like theologians and professors than they are really pastoral models of ministry and of, of function. And again, that there's something good in that. Pastors ought to be theologians, and they ought to be delivering serious content-filled messages. But, but I'm talking about now going too far and trying to replicate the seminary-like experience in a church context. That, that's simply not helpful. Uh, It's really not the the kind of church-based education model that we need. Pastors are pastors. They're not professors. They're not theologians. They need to have overtones of both, but they need to keep in focus that they're pastors whose responsibility is to guide a church into developing a program of training for every age group in every context, and that that's going to require a tremendously, uh, uh a, a greater, a tremendous, a tremendous amount of greater variety in teaching ministry than just replicating what happens in a seminary in a context of a church. I always spend time tell uh, pastors when I'm training them to preach that, remember, doctors don't replicate medical school lectures when they talk to their patients. When you go into your physician and say, "Uh, doc, I'm not feeling very well, and he says, well, you got the flu. uh, He doesn't give you a long treatise on all the aspects of the flu that he had to learn while he was in medical school. He just tells you uh, what's wrong? And then he prescribes an anecdote or a, 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 an antibiotic or, or, or a regimen or something for you uh, to take care of your illness. And really, that's more the pastoral model. And that is we, we diagnose people who are spiritually in need uh, of instruction, of development, of, found, uh, of doctrinal teaching, of, of all of that. And we design opportunities to do that, not just for uh, one niche of people, but for preschoolers, children, uh, young adults, uh teenagers uh, older adults men women you get the idea and so uh the faulty definition of discipleship has produced in us a response based on a real need trying to help people grow in their biblical knowledge and has warped our understanding of what church ministry ought to look like so that we sort of drift toward church is going to be more like a classroom then and not recognize that we have to have a multifaceted educational approach if we're really going to do everything that has to happen. It can't just depend on the pastor delivering a 45-minute lecture-style sermon and thinking that everyone's going to get all the Bible training they need in that context. So, having said all that, let me go back and say now that the definition of turning weaker Christians into stronger Christians, while I think it's an inadequate definition of discipleship, I think is a good definition of a subset of discipleship, and that is the teaching ministry of the church. This definition does adequately describe that responsibility. We do have a teaching responsibility to turn weaker Christians into stronger Christians. Teaching really matters. Every church needs a robust teaching ministry, and beyond that, every church needs a leadership development strategy to help people not only grow from weaker Christians into stronger Christians, but to grow into leadership roles where they start taking on the responsibility uh, for their church's leadership. Now, uh, I would add to that that I don't consider Gateway Seminary to be a discipleship ministry. I do, however, consider us to be a leadership development ministry. We're a subset of the teaching ministry of the church. We do take, in a sense, weaker Christians, people who have weaknesses and areas and places they need to grow, and we try to turn them into stronger Christians, giving them strength of understanding of doctrine, theology, uh, biblical information, ministry practices, uh, and how to do things in ministry like preach, teach, evangelize, counsel, uh, organize, these kinds of things. And so uh, we have a role here, and our role is vital, and the teaching ministry of the church is also vital. Uh, vital. And so I'm not speaking against those things in any capacity. I'm just advocating for discipleship starting with evangelism. And once discipleship starts with evangelism and produces a steady stream of new converts coming into the process, then the cycle of discipling can continue to include the teaching ministry of the church and can make a very significant difference over time. I'm advocating for an open loop, which starts with people coming to faith in Jesus who are not yet Christians, and then a loop of discipleship training that takes them on from there. So how would you go about developing a sound discipleship uh, ministry in a church that includes a teaching ministry, but not necessarily includes that as the only aspect of what it means to make disciples? Well, let me give you some suggestions. Number one, start with a commitment to training believers to share the gospel. Now, there are a number of different models available today. I'm not here to advocate any one of those. I think the North American Mission Board, for example, is doing a really good job of producing some tools and models and training approaches that can help the typical pastor train typical believers how to share the gospel in their community. It isn't really that important to me which training method you choose I'm simply advocating that you commit to one, meaning that you commit to an evangelism training methodology that's going to be reproducible, something that you can do year after year after year or semester after semester after semester, so that you build over time a cadre of well-trained witnesses who share a common vocabulary, who have a common sense of accountability, who have a common commitment to the task, who are actively sharing their faith and training others to do that. I'll talk more about this in a later podcast, but I really learned this lesson a number of years ago. I started out in ministry trying to win everyone to faith in Christ myself and basically preach messages to motivate people to to go out and share the gospel more effectively, and it didn't really work. But when I started training people, I mean seriously started training people to share their faith, it was amazing how much gospel telling got done and how many people came to faith in Jesus. Many of them people I never met until they made a public profession of faith in our church because of the witness of one of our church members. So I want to challenge you that a sound discipleship ministry begins with a commitment to training believers to share their faith and a common understanding in your church that discipleship begins not with helping weaker Christians become stronger Christians, but discipleship begins with helping non-believers become growing Christians. Start with the commitment to training witnesses and start by opening up the flow of new believers coming into your church, and through that process, the discipleship ministry gaining traction. The second thing you need is a Reproducible plan to stabilize new converts. There are two aspects of this. I think most churches uh, try to do this in a one-on-one relationship with every new convert, meaning that when a new person, uh, when a person comes to faith in Jesus and comes publicly to profess their faith in baptism, they're assigned. Uh, someone to help them grow one-on-one. Now, that may be the person led them, led them to faith in Jesus. It may be someone else, but they're assigned someone, and those assignments usually last for anywhere from six to ten weeks, and they cover basic aspects of the Christian life and base and, and try to help the person get launched in a good way. Uh, One-on-one training at this point is very helpful because it enables you to provide customized support to a new believer to address the specific issues they're struggling with. Uh, to help them over some emotional or intellectual hurdles that may come up in the beginning of their relationship with the Lord, and also help them to understand how to navigate explaining that new relationship to their family and friends. There's not really any other way that I've ever found that stabilizes converts and helps them get on a discipleship path like one-on-one training. Now, this one-on-one training also needs a simple curriculum. For years, when I was a pastor, we used a little 10-lesson workbook that had just a few questions and fill in the blanks and scriptures that the new converts could look up. And this little workbook accomplished so many good things. It helped them learn how to use their Bible. It gave them confidence they could read and understand the Bible. It helped them to understand uh, the simple uh, and basic aspects of what it meant to be a Christian. It helped to reinforce those through weekly discipleship meetings with their one-on-one mentor. And also... It gave a sense of commonality to people in our church of, of, a, of, a, of a base curriculum that everyone had been through and everyone had mastered. Now... Of course, not everyone completes it, but many, many do. And over time, when you have 10, 20, 50, 100, 150 people who've been through this curriculum, this basic training curriculum, it gives you a basis of uh, common vocabulary, common experiences, and really a common sense of truth that binds people together You know, as a church family. So one-on-one with a simple curriculum that you can reproduce and use over and over and over again is the way to stabilize new converts. So building a discipleship strategy starts with training people to share the gospel with unbelievers and seeing a stream of unbelievers come into the discipleship process in a church. Second, it continues then with stabilizing those two new converts with two key aspects. Number First, a one-on-one stabilization plan where you link people up with a mentor to help them through the first, say, six to ten weeks of their Christian commitment. And second, you use a reproducible curriculum, a a simple fill-in-the-blank type booklet or something like that where people can work through it over and over and over and people can use it over and over and over so that you build up this cadre of people in your church who have been through it together. Third, have a process to put new converts on a growth track. Now this usually means moving new converts uh, into this one-on-one discipleship process and then very quickly even simultaneously to that into some kind of small group structure whether it's a Sunday school class or a small group structure but you put them into some group where they're going to be have the opportunity to grow and develop in their early in the, their early understanding of Christian faith. Now th- there's one weakness to putting people in ongoing groups and that is You drop them into a group, and they're the new convert. They've been a Christian for just a few weeks, and they're surrounded by people who may have been Christians for six months, five years, 25 years. And so these different levels of familiarity with the Bible, with Christian vocabulary and all of that, Uh, can be helpful in that it helps people to grow and develop, but it also can be intimidating because it it forces them to realize what they don't know and can be problematic at that point. So especially in smaller churches, you may not have an option. You may have to put them in the only small groups that you have, which may be these ongoing groups. But in larger churches, you may be able to move them into a first group experience where they're in a group primarily with newer believers. And if they're in that kind of group, then that becomes sort of an incubation period of say three to six months before you move them into the regular small group strategy so we're going to start with evangelism continue to stabilize new converts and then put these new converts on a growth track by putting them in some kind of small group as quickly as possible And then number four, maintain an ongoing Bible teaching program. And this could be the same open group strategy that I just described, small groups or Sunday school. And when I say open group strategy, I mean this is groups that anyone can join at any time, and they're only limited by their uh, size of their meeting place and the capacity of their leaders. And churches oftentimes try to, to multiply these groups over time, and that's a good thing. But they maintain an ongoing teaching program, meaning there's a teaching program that goes on every week, and there's something for every age group of person in the church to experience. And then next, maintain an elective Bible teaching program. Now these are what I call closed groups. And this is where you put together a Bible teaching program that focuses on like a doctrine or a book of the Bible or something like that. And you invite people to participate in it for 6, 12, 13 weeks, or maybe even for 6 months or a year. It's a closed group, meaning people usually have to pay money to be a part by buying the materials and making some kind of commitment. And in fact, some closed groups say... We're going to meet for the next 13 weeks. If you miss two, you can't come back. Then you may say, well, closed groups won't work in churches because people won't make commitments. Yes, they will. Now, not everyone will, but people who are motivated, and that's who you're really looking for and want to go deeper in their understanding of the Bible, doctrine, church practice, they will participate. And too often times we think in terms of what happens in the first semester that we do this or the first year we do this. Let's say that you have 100 people participating in the small group ministry of your church on an ongoing basis. And then you decide to have an elective type program where you're going to do something at a different time during the week where people can come together for more intensive study, small group, closed group, maybe for 12 to 13 weeks, and you're going to require participation. They have to buy the book. They have to, partic- they have to uh, uh, pay money and be there or you drop them from the, from the group. Well, you say, well, if I have 100 coming to the larger ministry, how many would I expect in a smaller group? Maybe five, Maybe 10. You say, well, that's not very many. No, but if you do five or 10 this year and five or 10 the next year and five or 10 the next year, over time, once again, you build a momentum of people who really have been trained and in a deeper way in both Bible theology and church practice. And then finally, maintain a leadership development process. And this combines uh, some of what we've already said, and that is this can combine one-on-one training. It can also combine a closed small group experience where you take two or three people per year or maybe every six months, and you intensively put pour into them leadership development training so that they can join you in the leadership ministry of uh, leader in leading the ministry of your church. So a fully orbed discipleship strategy that includes a good teaching ministry starts with evangelism. Number two, continues with a plan to stabilize converts, usually with one-on-one training using a simple reproducible curriculum that can be used over and over and over again, which leads third to having a process to put converts on a growth track in some kind of small group context. For many smaller churches, that will be a Sunday school or a a small group study of some kind that's ongoing. For larger churches, you might be able to even create a path that you move people into a class just for new converts for, say, the first three to six months until they get ready to go into the ongoing Bible teaching program. So start with evangelism, stabilize converts, move people into a growth track. Then fourth, create an ongoing Bible teaching program, which may or may not be equal to that third step that I've already given you, and then create elective Bible teaching program Theology teaching program, church practices teaching program to give people the opportunity to grow and continue to develop. And then finally, a leadership development strategy that's a subset of all that we've already communicated. This is what a fully orbed discipleship ministry looks like. My concern, my concern is that by disciple making, too many churches today are focusing on steps three, four, five, and six in the model I've just outlined. That is not disciple making. That is having a good teaching ministry. But a good disciple making ministry includes the first two steps. Winning new people to faith in Jesus Christ, stabilizing those converts and helping them start their growth pattern, and then moving them into participate in a teaching ministry of the church. This is what I mean by a true disciple making ministry. There's no doubt about it. Jesus told us, go and make disciples. But that means more than teaching weaker Christians how to be stronger Christians. Making disciples means helping unbelievers become growing Christians. And when we do that, we're really fulfilling the disciple-making mandate. Take it seriously. Make the adjustments you need as you help your church go forward and as you lead on.